0: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we certainly have approached your throne this morning. We've enjoyed your presence. We still enjoy your presence through many ways, many, many actions, through songs, through giving, through partaking in the sacrament that you gave us. And you told us to do it every time we do it to remember you. Lord, let us never, ever partake of communion without remembering you. We approach your word today. We approach the story of you becoming that human being, of you lowering yourself from heaven to earth and taking on the form of a human being and humbling yourself before your Father. As we open up these scriptures and we... Look at these accounts. We pray that our eyes would be opened. That we would be bathed in the spirit of revelation. And that we would see what you want us to see and understand what you want us to understand. That would make an impact and a change in our lives. And I pray as I attempt to expound on your scriptures. I pray that I do so. Uh, with your with your favor, do so with your anointing that we would once again see and hear. We as a congregation submit ourselves to the voice of your Holy Spirit, desiring to hear what you have to say. We thank you in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. It's that time of year when we talk a lot about... Christmas as we already have done today. Truth is, every Sunday is Christmas Sunday and yet it's a good thing for us to particularly hone in on a time, a Sunday or a bunch of Sundays or a season and to particularly focus on the Christmas message and the birth of Christ and what that means to us. Um, Last Sunday, of course, we had a great program uh, mine eyes have seen. Uh, and and the truth is, what we're going to do today is kind of piggyback on that. I, I didn't even realize it till I was sitting there last Sunday watching and listening. It dawned on me that what we're doing today is going to be piggybacking or sort of a parallel to what we heard and saw last Sunday. And uh, I've entitled it, The Arrival of the King. Uh, the Arrival of the King, it, it was uh, unexpected. And unlikely, if you've read, I don't remember, maybe I wrote in the Chronicle recently, the unlikely birth of Jesus. And there's so many things about his birth that was completely unlikely. The the age of Mary, the the status of Mary, the size of the town that he was born in. I mean, all of the things that have to do with his birth are, were unlikely and, and, and unexpected in the way. I mean, now, all they had to do was read the Old Testament, but for some reason, they read the Old Testament and still thought Jesus was coming another way. And, you know, I, we, we laugh in our home group on Wednesday nights about some, some of the things the disciples do or don't do, and we always have to conclude that we would have done the same thing because you have to remember that they were not full of the Holy Spirit yet. And so uh, we're going to take a look at the perspective of various characters, you heard of a lot of them last week, in the Christmas story. Uh, we're going to particularly look at the, the shepherds and their and their experience today. We're going to uh, deal with that the most of our time. At the end of the day, what we want to do is remember and to see Jesus as our King. He's not just the King who came on Christmas Day, but ultimately he becomes our King. And, and, and two weeks ago, we dealt with the magi, what we call the wise men. And I I mentioned then that what I, what I would like for our time in this season to be is an attitude and a season of worship. All the other stuff's fun. All of those, I mean, everything Kevin mentioned about people getting together and gifts and all that. All of that is fun and festive, and in many ways important. But for the entireties, if you could see this season as a huge globe, let's see that as a season of worship. And, you know, obviously we're not talking about just gathering and singing songs, although that's very important that we do that. But our whole world is worship. Our whole world... Everything we do, everywhere we go, everything we say, every activity we undertake ultimately results and culminates in worship to the Lord Jesus. And that's what really this is supposed to be. Um, I'm not going to read the entire chapter of Luke 2. And somebody said, hallelujah. But uh, I am going to read the first seven verses Uh, We're going to cover the rest of the chapter, but we're not going to read verse by verse necessarily. So if you would stand, if you can, if you would, while we read uh, Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. And I'm again reading from the English Standard Version. And in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, some of your Bibles there may say this was the first registration before he became governor of Syria. You take your pick. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You can be seated. I I must insert here that... In normal circumstances today, we would be including Herod the king and the magi in today's discussion of the arrival of the king. Because he had major impact on both of those people groups. But as I referenced already, if you just go back two weeks ago, we've already done that. You said I wasn't here. Well, just for you. Just for you. We have it available on audio on a podcast. We have it available on Facebook in a video form, and we have it available on YouTube in a video form. And if none of that suits you, I can take it and put it on a thumb drive and give it to you. And somebody say, "Well, what would I do with my thumb anyway?" You insert right at the end of your thumb, no. And if that doesn't do any good for you, uh, we can make you a CD not going to make any DVDs but anyway all that being said not going to spend any time today covering what we covered two weeks ago when they saw the star we are going to talk about as I reference the shepherds out in the field my my latest book kernels of truth I'm not selling books today so' don't, this is the only one I got with me He has a picture of this guy. I told my granddaughter last night. He's outstanding in his field. But uh, she didn't think it was funny either. These guys are out in the field. And, you know, when you start in verse 8 and read on, you begin to see that story that they were there. We'll read some of it. Let's just read some of it. It says, in the same region there were shepherds watching over their flock. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were afraid, uh, and then of course, he begins to tell them the message. An angel of the Lord suddenly—so everybody say—suddenly suddenly. stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Now let's just think about that for a minute. First of all, an angel of the Lord appeared. This is not a host one angel suddenly you're minding your sheep and an angel appears. But then it says the glory of the Lord. Now, I don't know. I know you have because we have here, but sometimes you come together uh, with other saints in a setting like this and you experience the presence and the, the sweet presence of God. You experience his Holy spirit. Sometimes, you get together in an environment, sort of, it had to be in a church building, but somewhere like this. And you, you experience a really intense time of, of the presence of God. And sometimes, and this is rare, but it has happened and it does happen. Sometimes that presence is so strong, you can't even stay on your feet. I would imagine that this glory that appeared to these shepherds was similar to that. I mean, this, this wasn't just an, an everyday, normal visitation. This was an angel coming suddenly and the glory of the Lord was shining around these shepherds. And of course, guess what? They were afraid. Well, who wouldn't be? I mean, who wouldn't be afraid? You're, 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 you're uh, standing out here or sitting or something with your sheep, and this guy just appears. Well, it it doesn't matter if it wasn't an angel. You go, wait a minute. Where'd you come from? And and don't forget that the angels of the scripture are not a dumpy little fellow with a, a bow and arrow. Fat, dumpy angel with a bow and arrow. These were mighty warriors. You would be afraid of them in any situation because they weren't, they weren't just, well anyway, you get the picture. They were, they were mighty warriors and so they were afraid, which is why the angel said, do not be afraid. No duh. I mean, why would the angel say do not be afraid? Because they're used to that. Everywhere they show up. Okay now. I just want. Don't be afraid. Well, what made you think I was going to be afraid? Because everybody else was, and you're going to be too. Because it's it's different. Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you. Isn't this interesting? I bring you dirty. I don't know who. I don't know who played the shepherds last week. But don't take offense. Stinky. Needing a bath, shepherds. They've been out there with, I mean, you know, there's no shower out there. Probably no no uh, dial soap. And yet it says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. So that's great. He brings them good news, which will be for all the people. Guess what? That's us. We're in that bubble. We're in that company of all the people. It'll be for all the people. This good news. For today, in the city of David, there's born for you a Savior who is Christ, the Lord, who is Messiah. Now, these guys knew what that meant, and I, I, I can imagine them looking at one another at some point and saying, "Could this? Could this be?" Could this be what we've been told since our birth, since we were born as young Jewish boys? Could this be what we've been expecting all of our lives? And their heart started to do a little palpitation. And then the the angel said, again, it's just one angel. He said, this will be your sign. This is going to be your sign. your son there's going to be a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now, I'm gonna come back to this in a moment but I want to tell you that most of the Greek manuscripts that you will look at if you get a if you get a hold of a Greek interlinear interlinear Bible, usually it's a New Testament it says lying in the manger. Um, lying in the manger. They knew, I'm going to tell you why, but they knew which manger. Well, now they're excited. Because first of all, the angel has said to them, and they probably looked at one another and said, he said Christ the Lord. He said the Messiah. And now he said, this is the sign that that I've got for you. The babe's going to be wrapped in swaddling cloths. Not clothes. We often hear people say swaddling clothes. That's not what it was. It was strips of cloth. When they heard lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths, that uh, that would just strike that would strike a chord with them because being shepherds, they knew what that meant. Last Monday night in the movie Cho- Christmas with the Chosen, they actually referenced this briefly. And, and, and I've even seen, it's kind of unusual, I've even seen people write about it this week. Because there was an area of, of that part of the world, Micah 4.8 calls it the tower of the flock. But the Hebrew there is called Migdal or Migdal Eater. Genesis references this area, and it's, it was a, it was the area in, in that area, it was the area where if you were a shepherd, and you, it you, you knew that you were going to sacrifice two male lambs every day to God. It's just part of the ceremony. And you would bring the firstborn of your male lambs to the Tower of the Flock. And you would take that firstborn lamb that had been born to your flock, two of them, and you would take them to not a manger, but you would take them to the manger. And you would get strips of cloth from the priest, was part of the priest's robes, and you would bind that lamb up and you would lay him in that manger. Why? Because it was absolutely imperative that when you sacrifice that lamb that he be perfect without any blemish and without any defect and so you would bind that lamb until he could settle down and not be kicking and screaming and flipping and jumping because he would break his legs and he'd cause all kind of problems so you would bind him put him in the manger until he could calm down so what did you have? You got a perfect, spotless lamb lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths. Sound familiar? There's a reason. Just about. as a reason. But just about. Nope. I take that back. There's a reason for everything that God does. No accident. That Jesus was born in Bethlehem. No accident that they went to the tower of the flock. No accident that they laid Jesus in the same manger. The same manger that all of those little lambs had been laid in. Same one. No accident that they wrapped him in those swaddling cloths. They didn't need that to protect his perfection. But they needed to do it because of the scripture. And then every day they would sacrifice those two male lambs who had no, no blemish, had no defect. Every day they would put the lamb on the altar and sacrifice it unto God. And when after the blood of that lamb had been spilled for all the sins in ceremony, all the sins of mankind, especially theirs. The priest would then turn to whatever congregation there might have been. The priest would have turned and proclaimed to the congregation, wait for this, it is finished. Or it is accomplished. He would proclaim that the sins had been atoned for by the blood of that lamb because the blood was on the ground. And the sacrifice had been done. Sound familiar? When Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he says it is finished. Again. What God's doing. Is not by accident. And he's creating this whole scenario. I hope that you and I. Begin to see the parallels. And to begin to see why. The worship Of the eternal Lamb is so important. And not that just that we do things and sing songs and that's all that we should do, but there'd be something in our heart that comes out in a place of worship when we see our Lamb. Our Lamb lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, no blemish, no defect and ultimately his blood is spilled for you and for me and he himself cries out it is finished well they knew when the angel said that they knew exactly what that was maybe that's why they're the first ones they're the first ones to hear you think about it that angel walked right by the leadership of the Jewish community, the leadership of Israel. Walked right by them. Disregarded the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and went out into that field. Now, we know they didn't walk. They, they took a 747. But we know that they disregarded what we would consider to be the clergy of that day. And went to these shepherds out in the field. In a moment we're going to talk briefly about Simeon and Anna. And I'm thinking. Well why didn't God just send Simeon out there? Why didn't God just send Anna to the the manger? Well. We probably all got a lot of whys. W-H-Y. But he didn't. He sent the angel to the shepherds. And then as the angel began to to proclaim and declare these things to these shepherds, then it got more intense because they were joined by what the scripture says is a multitude of the heavenly host. Now, when you when you say the heavenly host, and then you say a multitude of the heavenly host, that's, that's more than two or three. That's overwhelming. That is the kind of thing that will make you drop to your knees. It's the kind of thing that will cause worship to come out of you. And this heavenly host, it's interesting, we talk about angels singing, and I'm sure they did sing, but we all, we reference this scripture sometimes, but it doesn't say they sang. It said they said. (laughs) They were praising God and saying, to these shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, I know the old King James says on earth, peace and goodwill to men, but the original really says it this way. In other words, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those. Here's a better way of saying it to those who are doing God's will. I know we have a gospel running around today that said God He just looks over every overlooks everything and we can do whatever we want to do and we still all receive the same blessings and I want to tell you that's not true. The peace is only to those with whom He is pleased, and those with whom He is pleased are those are the people of His will, and that really in the King James said peace to those of God's will, not goodwill. These guys, I just, I, I want you to see these guys stand out there in that field and they're hearing this and go, man, a lie. So then the scripture says that all the angels left. I don't know where they went. Well, I'm sure they went back to heaven. They left and they went back and, and these shepherds are standing there looking at one another and wondering, did that just happen? We don't know how long this lasted, but long enough. And so they had this conversation. They said, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's, I tell you what, let's go, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see about this thing. And that's what they did. I don't know who they left their sheep with. We do know that these shepherds were not out there by themselves. They went into Bethlehem. Because they knew the manger, they didn't have to go around looking for him. Bethlehem wasn't that big, so it probably wouldn't have taken long. But the Bible says they went and found him lying in the manger. They had visited this manger, we don't even know how many times. Maybe a hundred, maybe hundreds of times over the years. They went straight to the, they went straight to the tower of the flock. And sure enough, instead of a furry little lamb lying in that manger, there was a human being, a baby. Think about how amazed they were at that sight. They had never seen a human in that manger. goes, I mean, it's the barn. It's the barnyard. It's where the animals maybe or may or may not have been. And so then they, here's, here's what's interesting. They began to tell them what the angels had said to them. Let me just tell you something here. When God speaks something to you that is especially very significant, he will always send someone or something to confirm that. And if someone, you've heard me say this before, but if someone comes to you, with a word for you, you need to make sure that that word is a confirming word and not an instructing word. But, you know, Mary and Joseph had already had visitations from an angel. Joseph, the angel appeared to him in his dream. And here come these shepherds confirming... What Mary and Joseph had heard from the angels. This is what they said to us. Well, that's good news because it's not news. Because God's already told us that. But God will confirm to you. And Mary, this is interesting. Mary says, Mary treasured all these things. She took all the things that the shepherds were saying that the angel had told them and it says she treasured them and she pondered them in her heart. She pondered on these things. We don't know how many years she pondered. Once again, we we saw the movie on Monday night. Some of us did. And they, you know you got to take a little bit of liberty but they had mary placed in ad 48 she was she was not old but she was older she had I, I, you know if i'm seeing that movie i'm thinking she's still pondering she's still treasuring what that angel said to the shepherds the shepherds said to them well we don't know how long they stayed, but the Bible says they returned glorifying and praising God. They returned, went back out to the field. And, and certainly there were more people there than them. Just a few observations. There was obviously already a healthy dose of the fear of God in these men. They didn't take God lightly. Uh, being a little bit afraid of God's a good thing. A healthy fear of the Lord sometimes, well, a healthy fear of the Lord will enable us to truly see God, truly see the Lord as he needs to be seen. These were sheep herders. They weren't exactly the upper echelon of commerce. They weren't scientists. They weren't astronomers or astrologers. But we do know that In two years or less, they would be visited by those we talked about two weeks ago, the Magi. These were scientists. These were upper echelon of very wealthy people, Though the gifts they brought were very expensive. But these guys were just sheep herders. Jesus came in such a way that these sheep herders could relate and identify to him. Jesus came in such a way that every breathing person can relate to him. Now the devil tries to tell us and tries to tell you and devil tries to tell a lot of people that that you're not worthy for God's attention. Or if God really knew me, he he wouldn't be feeling that way towards me. That's just the devil. God does know you and you're not worthy. But that lamb in that manger, he was worthy. He's still worthy. And he paid your price. So don't let the devil tell you that nonsense. But they'll tell you, you're just a lowly sheep herder. Why would Jesus come to you? Why would God send an angel to you? You're just a nasty sheep sheep shepherd that needs a bath. I just believe that one of the reasons that they were the first ones to get the message is that very thing. There's not nobody can say, well, I'm too low on the totem pole. Well, in the kingdom of God, there is no totem pole. There's not even a pole. Another thing that I see is they weren't so preoccupied that they could not immediately go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing. How many times have we, especially in 2021, uh, we got our big toe over the line into 2022 here. In surfing terms, we hang 10. Some of you never grew up around the water, so maybe. Anyway. <laughs> but in our world, sometimes we're so preoccupied and so so occupied that we can't do anything. We can't move because our our world has us uh, bound up with activity, places to go, people to see, things to do. Oh, I can't do that. Or they, they said, hey, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Well, you know, I got an appointment at three o'clock. Not anymore, you don't. Let's go. Sometimes appointments are made to be broken. They were, they were obedient carriers of the revelation from the Lord. They brought, they brought to the manger and brought to Joseph and brought to Mary what God had said to them through the angel. They were obedient. And their response when they went back, and I've already referenced it, but here's the here's the the verse. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Obviously, there were more people there, and they went back and said, hey, let, let me tell you. Let me tell you what we saw. Better yet, let me tell you who we saw. You remember that angel said, the Messiah? We saw him. We saw the Messiah. Yeah, he's a baby, but he's the Messiah they went back and began to praise God and testify. I ask this question, could it be that the natural response to a true revelation of Jesus is that we're compelled to tell somebody? If you're not compelled to tell somebody, maybe you hadn't really seen Jesus. Sorry about that. If you're if the message you've received is not motivating you to want to go tell somebody, I mean, you know, if you if you won a lottery or if you won a lottery, of course some pastors would say that was a sin. I'd say bring in the tithe. We'll leave it alone. (laughs) Of course, I would say to you that if you do win the lottery, you're probably better off. Don't go telling a bunch of people. But for whatever, if something great happens to you, you want you think, hey, I got to tell somebody. Now, some of y'all waste your telling on Facebook. Go tell somebody, or not. And they said, we got to go back and tell somebody. Real revelation of Jesus compels us to go tell somebody. Briefly, and I, you don't, don't get nervous, we're not going to be here to the cows come home. Cows are in the manger, you know, by the manger. Simeon. Simeon was righteous and devout. He was a man... Who had been waiting for what the scripture says is the consolation or really comfort of Israel. He was waiting for something or someone to come. And he knew it was a someone that would bring comfort and consolation to Israel. It's a word that means to call near for help. Very similar to the word Jesus said comforter. He was waiting for someone to come near to help Israel. I don't know how much he knew. I don't know what if he knew exactly what to look for, but he'd been waiting around in that courtyard of that temple when they brought Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day. It's interesting, the Bible just says he picked him up and held him. Now, if you're Mary and this strange guy comes up to you, I want to hold your baby. Well, I mean, you know, in our world, we'd never let that happen. Yeah, watch your hands. And Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Woo. No, we would never. We would never. But it, evidently, he just took the baby and held him. I believe and I think the scripture indicates that it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that this baby, eight days old, was the Messiah. He knew because he saw by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe Jesus had any special markings. I don't think there was anything. I don't, you know, we see these pictures of that glow around his head. That wasn't there. He was certainly special. He was certainly perfect. But I don't think with the normal eyes, minus the Holy Spirit, that you could see Jesus in his mother's arms and think, well, that's, that looked like a Messiah. You couldn't do it. As a matter of fact, uh, Isaiah teaches us he wasn't all that good looking. I didn't say it. Isaiah said it. Blame him. See, so wasn't much to look at. That's not racist. Don't start. And he had been promised by the Lord that he would not see death until he had, until he saw the Messiah. And he even said that he said, "I can go now." Now we don't know. I don't. I, I didn't study enough. Maybe I should study more. To see how how long uh, Simeon actually lived. Maybe Josephus or somebody has some record of that. But we do know that he was ready to go then. He said, I'm ready to go now. I've seen the Messiah. He also he recognized Jesus before anyone else at the temple did. You know, there's probably some people running around in there and thought, well, what's that old man doing? What's he doing with their baby? He knew. He saw. And then he said, my eyes have seen your salvation. Sound familiar? My eyes have seen. My eyes have seen your salvation. God's salvation. Where did you see it? It's that baby. That's God's salvation. Jesus is the Greek word Yeshua. Which means God is salvation. He said, I see a light. This is interesting. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now he's standing in the middle of the temple with all these Jewish people around. Hey, it's time for me to stop. Uh, Everybody be dismissed. How you do that? My phone lies. He's standing in this place and he says he is a light of revelation for the Gentiles. Now why'd you bring that up? Because God has always made room for the Gentiles. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find God made room for the Gentiles in the Old Testament. And then he begins to speak to Mary particularly. And he says to her, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. In other words, Jesus Jesus said, and, and I know sometimes we struggle with this, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. The old King James says, I came to bring a sword. Why would Jesus come to bring division? By his very nature of who he is. When righteousness enters the room, unrighteousness is separated out from righteousness. There's a division. He said he's appointed appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel. He said you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And he said to Mary, and for a sign that is opposed. He said he's appointed for a sign. What does that mean? Well, do we think that in the Gospels, do we think we see any opposition to Jesus? I mean, after all, they killed him. How how did Simeon know that? Well, of course, by the Holy Spirit. But then he says a personal word. And I referenced this two weeks ago, but he says a personal word to Mary. He said, and for you, a sword will pierce through your own soul also you're going to find that moment in the future when a dagger is going to be in your soul and of course she you can fast forward till you find her standing in front of that cross watching him bleed and die dagger Simeon's telling her all this because the Holy Spirit had revealed it to him And sometimes we miss this part, but standing close by, evidently, was a lady named Anna. Now, you saw both of these characters in last Sunday's program. She was a widow who had never left the temple, but served day and night in the temple with prayers and with fasting. We don't know how old she was, but we know that she was at least 84 years old. Because that's how long she'd been in the temple. And so she was in in that vicinity and it says coming at that very hour or moment. She came at that very, what very moment? The moment Simeon was testifying of who this baby really was. At that very moment, because of his testimony, she recognized the Lord. Out of all the people, and I'm sure there was a lot of them, but all the people in that temple, other than Joseph and Mary, these two recognized Jesus. And one of them recognized Jesus because the other one testified. Once again, the importance of us telling what we see and hear. She had not allowed years of serving in the temple to form a preconceived notion of how Jesus would come. She could have said, well, I, you know, I heard what you said, but that's a baby. I mean, We're not looking for a baby. Well, you are if you'd read it. But she did read it or heard it read. She hadn't created this preconceived notion. And then the scripture says that upon seeing the Messiah, she began to speak of him to those who were seeking redemption. All the people there seeking redemption. She said to them, you're looking for redemption? He's right here. This baby. Right here. Now you say, well, this is all nice information, but I want to tell you that I want this to create in us something to rise up in us to cause us to worship the Lord Jesus. To worship Him with our lives. With our actions. With everything in us. Because at the end of the day, the bottom line is that we are all in search of the king. In search of your king. It's a nice story and it's, it's not just nice, it's very moving and very informative. But the question we have to ask ourselves is what are you looking for? Who? Are you looking for as we study this story, as we look at this account of the arrival of this king, remembering the wise men, the Magi and remembering um, Herod. What are you looking for or who are you looking for? Because we're always searching. We're always seeking. Are we looking for sweet little Jesus? It's a nice song. And, and, and there was a sweet little Jesus, but sweet little Jesus wound up on the cross. Sweet little Jesus made a whip, cleared out the temple. You gotta read a book, Jesus Mean and Wild. It's a great book. Are we looking for a mighty warrior who's a king? What are you looking for? I'm not, I don't want you answering me. Are you looking are, are you in looking for a king? Are you looking for a supply line? Are you looking for what can you do for me? And if it's what have you done for me lately? Then you don't really see Jesus. Are you looking for a supply line? Or are you looking for a relationship that supplies? I hope we understand That Jesus does supply our needs. But are we just... Let me ask it this way. Are we looking for what is in Jesus' hands? Or are we looking for Jesus himself? If you find Jesus, if you search him and you connect with him through the Holy Spirit in worship and communion, you're going to find out what's in his hands. But don't just go straight to the hands. Go straight to him. Is your, is your commitment to Christ a part time occupation? You heard me say more than once recently that if Jesus is a very important part of your life, then you have a real big problem. He can never be a very important part of your life. He has to be your life. So are you, are you a, uh, Weekend warrior. I know some of them are in the room that do the National Guard thing. They call themselves, week, or we call, I don't know, weekend warriors. Are you a weekend warrior for Christ? You just show up on Sunday and worship God? Or have you made a lifetime enrollment in the King's army? Have you made a lifetime permanent every minute of every hour commitment to the King's army? Those are pointed questions, and and I, I, I can tell you exactly who can answer them, and that would be you and me. But I can't answer them for you, and you can't answer them for me. And in summation, and somebody said hallelujah again, Jesus is the king to simple earthly shepherds. He is also king to technologically advanced scientists and astronomers. He is king to the saints who have held on to their faith for years despite obstacles and discouragement. He is king to all men. He is king to all women. Jesus is simply king to those who are able to perceive him. Your background, profession, or income has nothing to do with your ability to see the king. It is the condition of your heart and the willingness, your willingness to seek him while he may be found. Let's let the these accounts bring us to that place. Because at the end of the day, it's got to be about our response to him. The shepherd's response was, man, let's go tell somebody. Let's worship. They were glorifying God and praising God. Let our response be the same and whatever whatever, however that plays out. Stand with me.